So I'm delighted to have the opportunity to talk to you today about our, our approach to assessment um, in Scotland and to follow on from uh, the Deputy First Minister's address to us today. And I think it is useful just to go back and think about why we've introduced a number of changes to our approach to assessment in Scotland. And you will recall that in the 2015 OECD review, they suggested and challenged us that we should really be trying to get a bit more balance between the formative uh, nature of assessment and ensuring we have enough evidence about learning outcomes and progression to ensure that uh, children are making enough progress. And of course, we debated that together through our various curriculum um, groups, and we wanted to ensure that in Scotland we continue to make formative classroom assessment our main approach in the broad general education to supporting children's learning, but of course to introduce some elements which were more consistent and which could enable conversations about children's progress to take place. So that's what we've been trying to do in partnership across the profession over the last few years. And as Mr Swinney said, as a result of that, in the National Improvement Framework, we agreed how we would be able to have those conversations about progress and performance on children's, pro on children's progress, largely speaking using the Curriculum for Excellence levels and attainment of those at P1, P4, P7 and S3. But of course that is part of 11 different measures that we worked together on in order to be able to monitor the extent to which we were raising attainment and closing the poverty-related attainment gap. So, of course, those attainment of those levels, which are based on the judgment of teachers, are the main way in which we gather performance information about children's progress in the broad general education. And I think as a profession now, we're entering the fourth year of collecting that data. And it's more critical than ever that as a profession, we're confident about the level of consistency there is in making those judgments. Of course, any model of professional judgment in any profession always includes some level of variance. But I think the key challenge for us now as a profession is to use the benchmarks, to use our opportunities to have professional dialogue, to have as much confidence in the consistency of those judgments as we possibly can. And of course, just to recap, um, <clears throat> Oops, just see if we can move on. Just to recap uh, how we reach those judgments um, at school level, uh, of course we want teachers to consider a range of assessment evidence when they make those professional judgments and those to be moderated in different ways. And of course moderation isn't just the event where we, we go with classwork and we have the discussion. Moderation is ongoing, isn't it? We really want it to be in the DNA of teachers. Every time teachers are working together, they're talking about standards, they're talking about children's progress, and that is valid moderation, just like the sort of more formal moderation events that we agree. And of course, no one piece of assessment evidence has more status than another, or indeed should trump teacher professional judgment. I remember going to a school visit where they were uh, looking at some standardised assessment evidence and actually debating, well, actually, I know these children can do that. I've got other evidence of that. So they, actually, you know, they, were, they were challenging and debating what that uh, particular instrument was telling them. So very important, I think, that we continue to be confident in that, to be very clear that whilst we want that professional judgment to be informed and moderated, that, of course, the judgment of teachers overall and that holistic judgment is what, what matters. And certainly at national level now, we have all the various elements of the jigsaw in place. 
the standardised assessment, the advice on classwork, jotters, all the different types of assessment evidence is there. And the challenge to the profession is to take that um, evidence and that approach and to own it and make it as confident and reliable as possible. So I suppose the, the sort of culture of professional agency and empowerment supporting teacher judgments um, can be summarised here really. Different elements of planning and assessment coming together and ongoing evidence of learning along with the work on benchmarking. And I know many colleagues have been using the BGE benchmarking tool uh, to enable them to have informed professional dialogue and discussion about standards and about progress. So these tools are there to help us to support discussion about how well children are learning and progressing. So for me, I think the real key question, four years into this approach to schools, for those of us who are supporting and challenging schools, is to say, you know, if you think about our approach in any one individual school, what would be the answer to this question? You know, we're confident that our teacher professional judgment is robust and reliable because what's the journey that we've been on in order to make those judgments as, as reliable and as robust and as informed by evidence? And I know there's been a lot of work on this um, through those of you who are involved in supporting and challenging school improvement to make sure that that dialogue takes place. But as I say, I think with all this and with uh, the noise that there was around the SNSA, important just to keep reinforcing that our main approach in the BGE is the ongoing classwork and the ongoing day-to-day uh, -day learning and teaching. I remember one colleague in Glasgow describing it as normal work and normal places. That's how we should think of most assessment evidence. Not an add-on, not an extra activity, but learning, teaching and assessment being one. So many of us are veterans of assessment for learning. Assessment is for learning the glory days. Um, and of course, we need to continue to hold on to that assessment for learning, assessment by learning, but indeed assessment is learning in the best practice that we see. Because it's an activity in the classroom like any other where children are engaged actively, they're taking responsibility, they're working together, and they are learning um, in an, an active classroom setting. So let's hold on to that message. That lesson by lesson, day-to-day -day classwork is where we see most assessment for younger children. So most assessment is in real time informative. As I say, it's not an add-on, it's not an extra in keeping with curriculum for excellence. And that continues to be our overarching policy. And of course, what is formative assessment? Well, it's that process that happens during learning and teaching where children get to respond to and improve learning. And I think it's just worth reminding ourselves of those kinds of key messages. It's what happens during learning to respond and improve learning further that actually is at the heart of the approach. Of course, formative assessment also relies very heavily on effective feedback and I was interested in this new research by Hattie and Clark about effective feedback, that how powerful it can be on its impact on learning. And some really interesting findings from this research that scores or comments with no focus on improvement don't actually help learning. So the well done's, the great works, the, the stickers and so on, um, you know, are good for, for positive reinforcement, but might not actually help to improve learning. Of course, the whole purpose of, of feedback is about closing the gap between current and desired learning. And of course, learner to teacher feedback is actually much more powerful for the learner 
than teacher to learner. So again, how, how do we build in those opportunities for children to feed back to teachers about their learning and their progress and about the, the learning and teaching that's happening? And of course, it goes without saying that effective feedback occurs when it's received and acted upon and building in time for that. We also know from other research that the most effective classroom assessment enables the, the, this kind of self-talk amongst learners. Where am I going? How am I, getting, how am I going? And where to next? So whenever we see our teachers engaging with children and young people, providing feedback, that's a sort of reflective capacity or indeed self-talk that we would hope to see rather than a kind of passive flick through the jotter looking at the comments. That's the sort of highest order, I think, in terms of what we would hope to see from, from teacher feedback. And of course, <clears throat> here's a nice uh, quote back from 1968. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to ask who was teaching then. Um, but the most important single factor influencing learning is what the learner knows already. And I think that's something we all know, but it's just worth reminding ourselves how critical that is in terms of approaches to learning, teaching and assessment. I think for adults as well, um, feedback and challenge, particularly in an empowered system, is more important than ever. And this is quite an interesting quote about how we deal with feedback as adults. Receiving feedback sits at the intersection of two needs, our desire to learn and our need for an acceptance. Most of us have higher opinions of ourselves than others do. Ouch! Oh dear. Um, we judge ourselves by our intentions while others judge us by our impact. So I think I'm standing here delivering this great, inspiring speech. Um, and maybe you might be looking at your watch. Okay, moving on. I think what we've also seen, this is really important in the context of reducing bureaucracy and tackling teacher workload. We've also seen a lot of excellent work to streamline um, assessment and to really make sure it is part of learning and teaching. And again, schools where we see that most effectively, they're very clear and consistent on their approaches to assessment. So they're not all, everybody off doing lots of different things and perhaps gathering lots of stuff unnecessarily. There's also active attempts to review and reduce any assessment burden there might be, or indeed any assessment hotspots. So we know, for example, looking across a year group, S1 or S2, and thinking, is there points in the year where children are under assessment hotspots, lots of different curriculum areas assessing children at the same time. Another critical point, I think, is nowhere the evidence says, but you don't need to collect it all in the one place. So we don't need to obsess over folders and uh, you know, having all the stuff um, colour-coded and so on. The evidence is there, isn't it? It exists in practice. And I think a really key point for us all to remember about assessment is improving children's progress happens in practice, not on paper. So it's what happens in practice in the classroom, teachers talking to learners, learners talking to each other. That's where progress happens and that's where impact happens. It's not on bits of paper. So I think assessment is one of these areas where we need to be very actively looking at whether we could reduce workload further um, and to make sure there's no unnecessary bureaucracy. Mr Swinney also mentioned the refreshed narrative on Curriculum for Excellence, um, and you can find that at scotlandscurriculum.scot. And for me, this is a really excellent piece of work in partnership that's been done uh, not to replace or change Curriculum for Excellence, but to provide a very succinct and clear account of what it is 
um, and what we're trying to achieve. So if you want to refresh your curriculum rationale in school, if you want to refresh the understanding that colleagues have of CFE, I would strongly advise you to have a look at this. It restates long-standing aims of CFE, but reflects those in the current context of Scottish education. And as well as providing a point of entry to CFE for new teachers, it also provides experienced teachers with an opportunity to consolidate and reflect on their understanding. So it takes the core principles and thinks about the most effective practices to enact these in practice, and also signpost practitioners to other key resources. And it's deliberately very succinct, clear to follow, and as plain, written in plain English as possible. And these are all the partners who worked together with us on this. So for me, an excellent example of partnership working and collaboration in Scottish education to restate our shared belief in the approach to curriculum for excellence and the, the, the values and principles of CFE for our young people are more important now than they have ever been. And I think it's an excellent endorsement that we've had together um, as a profession and with all our partners to continue to endorse, but look at how we can improve further the guidance um, and support around Curriculum for Excellence. And of course, <clears throat> there's a workshop today where you can find out more about the narrative and, and how to use that in practice. What the narrative also does, of course, is reinforce the fact that literacy, numeracy and health and well-being are absolutely critical. And again, well-being is absolutely the heart of the government's approach to supporting children and young people and, and others, very, very powerfully um, embedded in the curriculum. And I recently saw a, a TED talk from the First Minister about why governments should prioritise well-being, and it's a, it's a short sort of 10-minute clip, which I certainly find really encouraging and inspiring about our approach in Scotland to put well-being at the heart of everything that we do not just for our children and young people, but for all our citizens. <clears throat> so let me turn briefly to one part of the, the jigsaw that certainly had a bit more uh, attention than others, and that is the SNSAs. And just to say that at the end of August, we published um, a revised statement on the purpose of the SNSAs, which you can find online, really restating very clearly for our assessment, our English medium, but also our Gaelic medium assessments. The purpose is to inform teacher professional judgment about learning and teaching, just like classwork, just like jotters, just like presentations that children will do. And it's a formative assessment that generates next steps in learning, which can be used along with others, other pieces of evidence to inform the judgments that teachers make. And there's a range of safeguards in there to avoid the sorts of perverse incentives that can come in other uh, countries' use of standardised assessments, such as avoiding uh, a window at national level for those to be completed. And indeed, the various reviews that we had um, just before the summer uh, around uh, SNSAs highlighted a number of key educational issues for us to consider. In terms of primary one, for example, uh, Mr Reedy's report highlighted that in some cases there's been a confusion uh, between what is effectively just a moment of, an ass of assessment and a pedagogical approach, i.e. play-based learning. So in other words, the two are not in any way conflicting with one another because if the SNSA is used appropriately, it's simply an assessment activity, it's a moment of assessment, and it would not um, impact on that overall approach to learning and teaching. 
I think we also, um, and part of the reason for the discussion today, highlighted the fact that uh, we need to continue to look at progress with the BG assessment model, and that's part of the purpose of today for you to reflect on that. But really, we want learning, teaching and assessment to be one, a blended, active experience for learners. So back to the point I was making earlier, not a separate activity, not an add-on, not something you do when you've done your learning and teaching, but one overall experience. And just before I finish, I want to highlight that we, at national level, do various things with the uh, achievement of CFE levels. So every December, we publish a short briefing on what the achievement of CFE levels is telling us at national level. And I think this is a, this is, these are useful resources for you to consider whether you're in a local authority or at regional level or at school level in terms of how your performance relates to the national picture. We also pr produce, as you know, um, school level data um, which is available and again through the BG benchmarking tool you can use to support discussion um, and around performance and improvement. Not league tables but information transparently about achievement of CFE levels. The commentary that comes out in that briefing in December again is helpful I think to reflect on in your own setting. So for example in the data collection last year um, the highest levels of attainment were in listening and talking and the lowest were in writing at the primary stages. So again, how does that compare to the story in your local authority or indeed your, your school? So that kind of commentary and analysis I think is really helpful. Finally, the final point on this one last year was that the overall pattern of performance had been very similar to the year before. So we're still waiting to see that significant uh, progress in terms of reducing the attainment gap. But please make use of these resources when they come out in December because it is helpful to set your own story in the context of the national picture. And again, I think a point of challenge when you're thinking about your own data collection is what is the story of children's progress in your school or your setting? Not just at any point in time, but in terms of their progress over time. What can you see when you look across the school? And some, some schools, uh, for example, there's quite high attainment in primary one of the early level, but when we look at over time, by primary seven, achievement of the second level reduces um, in some cases quite significantly. So what is the story of children's progress in your school, particularly their progress over time? And what can that tell you about the additional interventions or support that might be needed? Because, of course, with any assessment data, uh, what actually matters, of course, is not the hoovering up and collection of the data, which we sometimes obsess over, but it's the analysis and intervention that happens after we collect in the assessment data. So after you've done your CFE level return and it's off in the post or by email, uh, what then happens is actually the most important part of the story. Are there additional interventions? Are there changes made to learning and teaching um, as a result? Do some children get additional support that they might not have got otherwise? Okay, so just aware of the time, so I'm just going to pause there. Um, and that's just giving you an overview, I think, building on 
uh, Mr Swinney's um, input about some of the key issues in terms of improving assessment in the broad general education. I'm certainly looking forward uh, to working with you and to joining some of the workshops and indeed to the panel discussion we'll have uh, later on with uh, some of our guests, with Jeff Masters, with uh, Dr Carol Campbell, who's one of our international advisors, and with Gail Gorman, who's the Chief Inspector of Education. So I hope this is a very helpful day and will enable you to look at your approach to assessment and how it can be improved further. Thank you.